And I want you to imagine you're in your car or at home or wherever and your cell phone rings. You pull it out and it's your investment advisor. <laughs> he says, I've got a hot tip for you. I found a stock that you don't want to miss out on. It's a stock that, that cannot be touched by anything that goes on in the world. Wars, inflation, unemployment, nothing touches this. It, it maintains it value, its value and just continues to grow. That's a tip you might want to follow up on, right? This morning I'm going to tell you about something you can invest in. Everything I just said is true of. It cannot be touched by circumstances in this world. You know what it is? It's called contentment. Contentment. A lot of ways to define what it means to be content. I'm going to start here by saying it means to be satisfied. Contentment. That's what Paul's going to talk about in Philippians 4. And God's timing is very interesting. This preaching calendar was laid out weeks ago. I had no idea that when I preached this, that I would go to the pump on Friday morning and pay almost $4 a gallon. God knew. I saw the worker there and I said, hey, do you got any cheap stuff in the back? <laughs> she said, no, that's all gone. She said, and they're going to have to start paying me more just to drive in from Chino to work here in, in Prescott Valley. This message comes at a time where everybody's incomes are not going as far as they did uh, even just a few short weeks ago. Contentment. God knew we needed this. Contentment in this world is elusive, right? comes under assault from a lot of different directions. I think of what John Rockefeller, one of the richest human beings to ever walked the planet, said. Somebody asked him a question. Hey, John, how much wealth is enough wealth? You know what his answer was? A little more than a fella has. <laughs> Always a little more, right? That makes me think about Joe's Crab Shack. If you've ever seen on their wall, a lot of their restaurants have something painted there. Free food tomorrow. <laughs> right? it's, always, it's always just out of reach. Right? Contentment in this world can be elusive. But it is something that is available to every believer in Jesus Christ. First Timothy 6.6. 6, Paul says, Godliness... With contentment is great gain. It's great gain. Let me ask you a question. Are you content this morning? Are you content this morning? If not, would you like to leave here content? Let's dive into Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. First, I want to talk about Paul's situation. He's writing to the Philippian church. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. That word rejoiced comes up in this short little letter over and over and over again. Was was. Paul writing this letter from some comfortable ivory tower 
sitting on a leather couch, sipping a lemonade? No, where was he writing this from? Imprisonment. Yes. So we can never write off what he talks about rejoicing. Oh, sure, Paul, it's easy for you. He was writing from imprisonment. In this context, he's rejoicing. He says that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What's going on? You remember the Philippian church had sent a man named Epaphroditus to visit Paul in his imprisonment, and they sent a financial gift to help him. And he's rejoicing in that context. He's thanking them. Thank you for your gift. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's saying there was a stretch here where I didn't hear from you, didn't receive anything, but I know that's because for some reason you had no opportunity. Thank you for sending it now. And I want to tell you a little bit more about his situation. We'll have to jump down to verse 14, talk about some of the particulars of what's going on here. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. That word share is interesting in the Greek. As they sent that financial gift to him, the word can also mean fellowship. It was kind of you to fellowship with me in my trouble. That's a powerful reminder of how God views our giving to those in need, including other believers. Paul saw it as fellowship. Thank you for fellowshipping with me through the gift that you sent. It was kind of you to share my trouble. He says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, when he first got to where they were, when I left Macedonia, and you remember there had been some bumps there, humanly speaking. He and Silas were beaten. They were arrested, and then God sent the earthquake, and the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? But after all they had been through, the believers there said, you guys better get out of here. He says, when I left, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he's remembering back to earlier days when he was out of prison and they had helped him way back then. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Right after he left Philippi, you'll see in Acts 17, he went to Thessalonica. And I love, just as a reminder, this is not some fictional story. These are real places on the globe today. We were watching Amazing Race this week and they were in the, the city of Thessaloniki. This very city that he's talking about, Thessalonica, it's still there, okay? But he says, you sent me help there once and again. Evidently, this church loved Paul graciously with their gifts to him in his ministry. Verse 17, he says, not, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He was thankful for the gift, but what he was more thankful for was the, the eternal treasure they were laying up in heaven for themselves. He was thankful for that, the, the fruit that would come from it. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And that last part's a great reminder. When we give to those in need, including other believers, it's not only to that person. It's an offering that's pleasing to God. What did Jesus say? Whatever you've done for the least of these, you have done unto me. So Paul is thanking them for that gift. But I want to ask you a question. 
Was Paul's contentment dependent on receiving this financial gift from the Philippians? Was it? Was, was he going to be miserable if this gift hadn't shown up? No. How, how do I know that? I want to talk to you about the principle of contentment. Verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever situation. I am content. The Greek word for content is pretty interesting. You know what it means? It means self-sufficient. Now, we know for Paul, there's a whole lot more to it than that. He's going to adopt a Greek word and infuse a whole new level of meaning into it. But for now, I want to ask us a question. Do I look out here to my circumstances to decide whether I'm going to be content or not? Or do I look in here? Do I look to someone in here, someone we're going to talk about in just a moment? I know the battle is real. This week I got two vehicles going into the shop on different days. One has an actuator that's down. One, my old 98 Toyota Tacoma has some mysterious new leak. That, that one's going in on Wednesday after the van goes in on Monday. Why am I sharing this? I'm not whining or complaining. I'm just saying I know. I live out there too. Things happen that, that assault our, our contentment, things we don't expect when we wake up in the morning. And I want to ask us another question. And at first you're going to say, what in the world are you talking about? Okay. Am I a conventional minivan? Or am I an amphibious vehicle? And you say, what in the world are you talking about, right? Okay, you're driving in a conventional minivan and you come to a deep body of water that's between you and where you need to go. Are you getting where you need to go? No, because that conventional minivan is dependent on things out here as to whether it's going to get where it needs to go. But if you're driving an amphibious vehicle and you come to that body of deep water, you're like, no problem. This thing is made for this. I'm going right off the road into the water and on to where I'm going, right? Paul is a spiritual amphibious vehicle. He is prepared for, for any situation that comes his way. He's going to be content. We know that from verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. Now, many of us think about the persecutions and the imprisonments, and that's brought low. I was reading about another part of it this week. Many believe that, that Paul came from a very wealthy family. Because he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel before he came to Christ. That was not something that the average Jewish young man could afford. Many of those same scholars also believe that when he came to Christ on the Damascus Road, that he was likely disinherited from the wealth in his family line. He knew the cost of following Christ. He knew how to be brought low. 
He says, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now you can say, of course we need to know how to be content when I'm brought low, but why do you need to learn how to be content when you abound? Well, what happened in the Old Testament? After the Jews went through the wilderness and God had provided that manna for them and all these miraculous miracles and they got to the edge of the promised land, Moses warned them, you're going to go in here and you're going to have abundance from the Lord. Do not forget him. It is not you who brings your wealth. It is he that gives you the ability to have that wealth. Do not forget. We have to learn to be content when we abound because sometimes when we abound is when we forget the Lord. I think about learning contentment. I think about an Old Testament book you may have read. Book of Ecclesiastes. I believe, along with Moses, it was written by King Solomon at the end of his life. We talk about a man looking for satisfaction in life. You may think you've looked for it. I bet you you haven't looked like Solomon looked for it. He had wealth coming out his ears. There's one verse in 1 Kings that said he made silver like stones in Israel. In Arizona, I think about landscaping my yard with silver. Can you imagine that? Raking silver? There was a lot of silver. He had it coming out his ears. Women? He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you were going to find contentment in sexual pleasure, work. He built Many wonderful, beautiful things. Writing, books, wisdom. And you know what he said? I believe it was at the end of his life looking back. He had learned some things. He said, everything under the sun is meaningless. What does that mean? Everything pursued apart from a relationship with God is meaningless. It will not bring you the contentment you're searching for. Paul says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. When he says the secret, that reminds me of a wildly popular book from a decade or so ago. You remember it was called The Secret and it was a bestseller nationwide. It even crept, unfortunately, into the lives of some, some Christians. What, what was that book? It was basically a self-help book Okay, law of attraction, how you can use the power of positive thinking to achieve anything you can imagine. Okay, now I have a couple biblical concerns with that book. Okay, you say, why? Because it talks about the importance of our thought life? No, no, last week we talked about it's important what we think about. It's a battle. We've got to think about what's, what's true, what's commendable, what's praiseworthy. That's true. I have biblical concerns with it because it, it gives the impression that as long if there's something out here that I want, as long as I have a positive attitude, it's going to come to me. My problem with that, just because I want something does not necessarily mean that is God's will for me to have. Sometimes my wants and his will are two very different things. And to drive that home... I thought about, can you imagine taking a copy of that book to Jesus Christ while he was being whipped at the hands of the Roman soldiers and say, here, 
read this. Or to Paul and his imprisonment, say, here, I got a book for you. The secret. Or maybe you have a friend with stage four cancer who's in the hospital and they've been told they have days to live. Here, here, read this. Or what about Job at the height of his, his difficulties? The Job who said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have a problem with that book biblically because my wants may not necessarily be God's will for my life. But I also have a problem with it because it tends to set my focus out here. Why think positively? So I can draw that thing into my life, that thing I want in this world. Let me ask you a question, believer. Are we supposed to be focused on things of this world for our contentment? The answer is no, if you're wondering. (laughs) Colossians 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So when Paul says, I've learned the secret, he's talking about the real secret to contentment. And everything God calls us to as believers in Jesus Christ. The power behind contentment is right in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not out here. It's it's the, the risen Savior who lives in here. That's where I find my contentment as a believer. Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What about the all things there? That's been a lot of ink spilled on that over the years. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When the context, he's obviously talking about being content, right? No matter what happens. But he does say all things. So does that mean like if I just saw the new Spider-Man movie and I'm like, oh, God, it would be sweet if I could shoot webs out of my hand. Please, Lord. (laughs) Let me just shoot one. Is it going to happen? <laughs> so is this a lie? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? What is the all things? It's all things that are within his will for my life. I'm willing to bet shooting webs isn't in his will for my life, and I'm okay with that. But what is in his will for our lives as believers? Just look back through this book. To shine like stars in a dark universe. To practice unity and humility and love in the body. I can do all that. In here, I can can be content. I like the way J. Vernon McGee wrote about this. He didn't like to fly in the days of his ministry. He preferred the train. And so he would take this one train called the Super Chief from Chicago to Los Angeles and and he was talking about this train outshined many other trains in its day. There were hills that the super chief could take that, that no other locomotive could. But he said, what if on the super chief, we were going through Williams one day, and, and the super chief locomotive had a thought. 
You know, I often drop people off here in Williams and I know they go up to see the Grand Canyon. I'd love to see the Grand Canyon, the super chief said. So he's going to hop off the tracks and go see the Grand Canyon. J. Vernon McGee said, at the very moment that train jumps off the tracks, it is a wreck. He said, when we look at this all things, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The tracks are God's will for my life. What has he called me to do? And as long as I'm on those tracks, yes, I can do all things he calls me to. The moment I jump off because of my own harebrained idea or to live in sin, we have no right to expect his power to help us in that moment. I can do all things within his will through him who strengthens me. That's the power. I want to look at the promise that protects contentment. He says, my God, verse 19, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you have a father who will supply every need of yours? Now, many have pointed out he does not say every greed of yours. This does not mean just because I want a Lamborghini. I can count on this verse to get it. Every need. See how that protects contentment? For these Philippians, they knew that. They knew how to to be generous, not only when the wealth was flowing. There are passages in Scripture that says sometimes they gave out of their poverty to Paul in his ministry. How could they do that? How could they be content and even give in that moment? Because they trusted in a Father who would supply every need. And he closes with praise to the Father in whom we are content. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our ultimate contentment is in a person. In God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, whom he has sent. As we wrap up this morning, I just want to share a couple things that I see out there. Sometimes, you know, we think about this word content. We throw it around, oh, just be content. Just be content. And we wrongly believe that what that means is we're settling. We're settling for something less than the best, right? Just be content. Was Paul settling when he talked about being content? <laughs> no, he, Paul had found something far better than anything this world has to offer. Jesus Christ. Think about the woman at the well with Jesus, John 4. What did he say to her? Talking about the physical water, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And Paul calls it a secret. He says, I've learned the secret, but I, I love that all through this book, he's been spilling the beans on what that secret is. He hasn't really kept this secret very well. And I just want to trace his footsteps through this book to see what, what is the secret. And at the core of it is Philippians 3, verse 8. He says, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So the secret starts when we realize the surpassing worth of Christ. Paul knew that. Okay, so how how can we be content when the world throws stuff at us? We hold on to the surpassing worth of Christ. And I want to show you three examples where we've seen Paul content things you may go through this week, maybe even today. What, what about when other people do harmful things toward me or have bad motives to me? You ever have that happen in your life? Paul did. You remember he was in prison and there were some people preaching the gospel for good motives. Other people were out there preaching the gospel just to get a one-up on Paul, kind of stomp him down. Now's my chance. Was he content? You betcha. Philippians 1.18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. As long as Christ is proclaimed, I'm content, even with what these people are doing out here to hurt me. How about the second one? In prison, out of prison, alive or dead. It's a theme, theme of our message. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He's content either way. Philippians 1.21. What about finances? That's this chapter right here. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul wasn't settling for anything. He was content in the Lord. I did something interesting this week. I, I typed in the word better. Better is. So I believe Paul had found contentment in something better than this world had to offer. And I, I looked through the Old Testament. There are Old Testament saints that had found contentment in something, someone better too. After this first verse, I want you to listen to all the better is verses and just take these in. Psalm 4, 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. What's he saying to God? He's saying, I have more joy in you than those other folks do when their bank accounts are just blowing up, growing leaps and bounds. I have more joy in you. Now listen to all the better is. Psalm 37, 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Psalm 118.8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Psalm 118.9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Psalm 119.72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Psalm 63.3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Proverbs 8.11, for wisdom is better than jewels. Proverbs 15.16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Proverbs 15.17, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. One more. Proverbs 17.1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet 
than a house full of feasting with strife. And I think about all of that. And I formulate it like this. If what you treasure is untouchable, then so is your contentment. Jesus said that. Right? Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is a joy in Jesus Christ and following him that far outshines anything this world has to offer. I got just a taste of it this week. I'm not going to spoil the whole story. Just to tell you a bit of it, because you'll hear more on Baptism Sunday on May 15th. I was out at a restaurant Friday afternoon with a couple people that wanted to meet. And long story short, shortly after we sat down in the restaurant, the husband, his eyes started to water. And he said, I know I'm still here for a reason. I know I'm still here so that I can be saved. He said, I've known that for the past year. And I said, well, over this past year, have you learned how to be saved? He said, no, that's why I'm at this meeting. And it was one of those moments where, you know, like how sometimes you have to really pray and wonder, how can I work Jesus into this conversation? <laughs> You're looking for the opening. This was just the opposite. It's like, oh, my goodness. How can I be saved? That's why I'm here. And, and we walked through the gospel. And right there in that restaurant, not only the husband, but the husband and his wife both prayed to receive Christ. <laughs> They're going to get baptized and share the whole story on May 15th. But I got on the phone right after that meeting, and I called my wife, Carolyn. And, you know, we, we're saving up for a building as a church. And I'm not saying it's an either or. God can do both. But I told her, if it wasn't either or, where we had to have a nice building of our own, or God's going to save people and bring them into his kingdom and bring them from, from death to life, from hell to heaven, I, I'd, I'd rather meet in a back alley where it's raining than see him do that if it wasn't either or. There's a joy that came with that. Sometimes ministry... And you all know it. You, you, we're all ministers, all believers. Sometimes go through these long seasons of plowing. <laughs> then you get those moments of harvest. A taste of what really matters when, when a life is changed for eternity. Say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Contentment's in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get so caught up in pursuing this or that. I think we forget to enjoy what we already have. There's a story about this, about a, a fisherman. He, he goes out fishing, catches a few fish, eats them, and he's sitting on the beach catching the rays and just enjoying the scenery. He's perturbed and says, hey, why don't you go out there and catch more fish? 
And the fisherman said, I've caught enough to eat. Why would I go out and catch more? He says, then he could sell them. Why would I sell them? So you could buy more boats. You buy more boats and you could use the nylon nets like the ones I got. And you could put big motors on them. And, and you could go out there and get more and more fish and sell more and more and grow your fleet. Get rich. And the man sitting on the beach says, then what? man says, then you could sit down and enjoy life. And the man sitting on the beach says, hey, what do you think I'm doing? Am I saying it's wrong to, to work? No, work is part of God's plan since the garden before the fall. I'm not saying that. Not wrong to have possessions. But don't go looking to them for contentment. Believer, don't miss who we already have. Don't miss the invitation today to walk out of here and enjoy 100% contentment in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's a treasure no one can touch. Lord, thank you for Paul's words, and especially just thank you for where he wrote them from. We can never write them off as, yeah, that sounds great, Paul, because he was going through it, and he went through it till the end, but he held that contentment because he was a man obsessed with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray whatever pursuits you've called us to in this world, and, and we have them, uh, whatever we own and whatever blessings you've given us, you, you do bless us with, with possessions, that you would steer us from looking to any of that for our contentment, that we would be those who rest in Jesus Christ and him alone for that untouchable contentment. Because if our, our treasure is untouchable, then so is our contentment. May we go out of here enjoying that and living in that contentment. Lord, as we prepare for our offering, I, I pray especially for the gifts that we send today and next Sunday overseas. Thank you for that opportunity to fellowship with those dear folks in their moment of need. And I pray that it would be a sweet savor to you. I pray your blessings upon the Christians on the front lines, both those working and those in the middle of the, the conflict, that you would encourage, strengthen, use them as a witness to the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Use our gifts for your glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.